0: I do a lot of slamming of orchestras on this show, but I actually went into a concert hall late last week and took in a concert. I actually I actually did it. We talk a lot about how programming is what keeps a lot of people out of the concert hall. But from your perspective, is it squarely? programming or are there other variables like scheduling how how long these concerts are days of the week is d- d- does that apply to your non uh, engagement of, of those spaces
1: a lot of things you know i work thursday friday and saturday nights so and that's when
0: I, concerts are <laughs> and if i have
1: one of those off there's a lot of competition so it's got to be yeah programming is what it comes down to and and money
0: yeah yeah and you know there's a lot of uh, interesting programming things happening around the twin cities especially with the Schubert Club. Since 1882, Schubert Club has been cultivating a passion for music and fosters an engaged community of music enthusiasts through concerts, music education, museum exhibits, and student scholarships. For more on Schubert Club, visit schubert.org. I'll speak a little bit more to the diversity of programming that Schubert Club engages, but I wonder if you'll uh, say more to what you're saying. We tend to think a lot about um things like, okay, how long is the concert? When is the concert? But it sounds like if it was the right type of programming, you would bend yourself in a way or find room in your schedule, find the money to actually engage some music you want to hear performed orchestrally.
1: I think so. Yeah, something new and different. Um, we talk a lot about, uh, we've said many times, hey, orchestras, how about dumping the lesser known piece on your program and put on something by a living composer yep. or something like that. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm trying to see. And, you know, we, uh, I think it was when we had the second interview with Katie and Delaney from Classically Black. Yeah, shout out to them. And they pointed out something that has stuck with me, which is why get dressed up a certain way and go and fight parking and all that yep. to hear something how you know how it goes. That's right. That's right. Or, once you hear the catch, the catchy part of a symphony or an overture or whatever, and then you got to sit through the rest of it that you don't really care about. Right, right. That's all
0: I'm saying is, you know, give me something new, give me something exciting that I haven't heard. Mm -hmm. How about that? So the concert I went to at the Minnesota Orchestra, it was hosted by Louise Toppin. Shout out to Louise Toppin, a member of the Triloquy family. It was conducted uh, by uh, Kinsho Watanabe, who I know listens to Triloquy. So shout out to Maestro Watanabe uh, once again. What I was finding myself thinking about as I was listening to this concert was that living composers that really is the focus that we need to hone in on moving I think forward so. because this was a whole concert program of, of black composers there was uh margaret bonds on the program florence price there was well there's some adolphus Hale story he's living right. I, I really appreciated uh that piece some samuel coleridge taylor but what i found my ears gravitating to most was a work that they performed by Hale smith it's a work called contours and i want to share just a little bit um, of the conclusion of it here just to give you a a sample of this vibe. So. I'm always, you know, the cool guy in the concert hall when the piece ends, I just you know, I'm, I'm kind of just sitting there and tanking it in and, you know, maybe folks are clapping or whatever. But at the conclusion of that work, it wasn't really highlighted in that recording. But when the Minnesota Orchestra performed that work of uh, the bass drum player. Really put a period at the end of that sentence, you know, and that, that last boom just, Mm -hmm. you know, inspired instant applause out of me. Again, like I was saying, we had all of these black composers featured on this concert, but this was the aesthetic that really had me thinking. I I wasn't daydreaming. I wasn't thinking about other things. I was, I just found myself laser focused in on the, on the performance we talk a lot about that contemporary aesthetic and maybe my being um a band person and and the the first years of my learning to play in ensembles mm-hmm. having been with contemporary composers and uh music that sounds a little different than the what the Suzuki string players are are playing when when they're 4 and 5 years old anyway i wonder you know what some of your continued thoughts are on diversity of aesthetic within diversity of of composers, a program of William Grant Still and Florence Price and uh, Chevalier de Saint George. If, if I'm just going to pull out those three, that is a a program of black composers. It's also a program of an aesthetic that we're used to. What do you think about shifting to a more contemporary aesthetic? Um, in addition to exploring more works by people of color and women.
1: So what you're saying is that, you know, the the program that you just described is we're having a lot of sameness in the aesthetic there, or that it's Black composers working in the Western aesthetic? Is that what you're saying?
0: I, I think we have gotten to the point of uh, doing a great job of highlighting exactly what you're saying, Black composers who work in that uh-huh. traditional Western uh-huh. aesthetic. Uh-huh. But I think we need to move beyond that further than that and yes you know shout out to all of the living composers who work in a more contemporary aesthetic that are not black i think what i think about a lot is that there are so-called historical black composers um older black composers who are still living who have been working in that more contemporary aesthetic for a long time and have been doubly marginalized not only because they're black but because, because they're working the, the sound mm. of it isn't pretty or whatever people want to hear when they turn to. on the public radio station how do how do you engage normalizing a more contemporary aesthetic in your presentations or in in the work you're trying to do wow (laughs) at least for audiences let's say for audiences you happen to have something on one of your playlists that people would describe as crunchy that's one of those words people use how do you sell it to the to the listener what does that break sound like from you (laughs) excuse me i'm getting over
1: a cold Um, it's a great question and it's something that I wrestle with every time I open um, the microphone on something like that. And Mm -hmm. I've talked about it before, how you have to build it up. You have to promote it. Um, especially if you're working in an environment that I am, where people are used to a certain thing from you. And the minute that you give them something else, some hackles are going to be raised. That's just the way that it is. And what I have found I need to do is... Uh, even if I get backlash from some of the crunchier pieces or that I'm playing something by a black composer that isn't recognizable or something like that,
0: Mm -hmm.
1: I have to stand my ground. Yeah. If I hear, if I hear backlash about it and and I engage that person through email or well, it's usually through email, but if I engage them, I have to stand my ground Mm -hmm. and say, well, this is what we're doing now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so. Yeah. Um, but and and I also frequently bring up the point that look in front of this piece of music and right after it was exactly what you're used to. Mm-hmm. So um, any any other radio and TV station that somebody ha- takes issue with 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 what is aired, they turn it off for a minute. Yeah. And then go do watch something else or listen to something else and then come back. I don't know of anybody who burns down an entire radio
0: station because they play five <laughs> minutes of something they don't like. Sure, sure. I remember I was so frustrated by this conversation in the early, early days of of the radio leg of my career. You know, uh, shout out to, to Todd Steed. Yeah. You know, after one program, after one shift, uh, he called me in to his office to basically say, look, I get what you're doing. Um, the audience needs to be the the water needs to be warmed up gradually. You can't just throw them into a boiling pot of water, Mm -hmm. so to speak, you know? Mm -hmm. And a part of me was really frustrated by that conversation because When I think about public radio, generally, I think about a vehicle of exploration and where people can learn and discover. And I felt a responsibility to institute that in my programming, you know, that learning and discovery. So it's not that I went all the way back and started playing Brandenburg concertos, but it took me a while uh, and a lot of self-sacrifice to determine for myself, how do I um you know incorporate mm-hmm. some of those more contemporary sounds into what I'm doing now it was still a vast majority in my programming vast majority uh 20th century and 21st century mm-hmm. and there is a lot of contemporary music that aesthetically is easier on the ears for folks who are 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 more uh used to that traditional sound um but what what i continue to find to be a challenge is how to have the conversation without uh, stamping certain types of music as different or or weird or crunchy as as we're using you know I used to uh, use the analogy of you know life isn't always pretty and that means music isn't always pretty either but even so I I don't like the idea of just, uh, I don't know, stamping the the idea of this piece of contemporary music that has that contemporary aesthetic, stamping it weird or different or or anything like that. I just want it to be considered among the aesthetics of music. You do,
1: you, do you think that just providing more of the correct context can alleviate some of this? Say more of the
0: correct context.
1: Meaning that, like, let's say if you're working on one of your shows, Sound of 13 or something mm-hmm. like that, and if you spend some time, to really frame a piece of music, or the, or the the or or the state that a composer was in, or what they were trying to convey, will that alleviate some of it, some of the some of the hesitancy?
0: It may, it may. I'm thinking about uh, the composer George Walker, for example. Mm, you know, we mm-hmm. love to uh, mm-hmm. play his lyric for strings and talk about the fact that he uh, was a a black man who won the Pulitzer mm-hmm. in music. The piece that he won the Pulitzer for, if I'm not mistaken, is one of those pieces that, again, we would call crunchy or or something like that. I'm thinking about uh, Raven Chacon, who won the Pulitzer this year for uh, the piece of music. Uh, I think it was called Masses for the, the Voiceless. Um, uh, Apologies if, if that's not the the title of it. But that piece of music has some of those, you know, contemporary aesthetics that aren't necessarily singable or uh, relaxing or, or mm-hmm. you know, those words people approximate to it. Uh, I just think we have to figure out a way how to celebrate those sounds without continuing to marginalize those aesthetics as weird or different or crunchy or, or those sorts of things, especially considering, again, the reason we're talking about this that is the music that I found most engaging right. on this Minnesota Orchestra concert. So there are folks who, you know, Daydream or drift off, drift off when we're listening to a Beethoven symphony or a Schubert song. But something that we have to actually listen to and, and sort of digest—that is—that is the stuff, and that's right. what I want to right. go hear every time I go to a, a concert hall. Listen. I love an adagio for strings at the right time, you know. I I love one of those beautiful Schubert songs or or a uh, Verdi arias at at the right time. Even you know Mozart songs I think are, are are very beautiful. You know the the vocal stuff he wrote. And I love you know a little bit of a of a challenge. You know not not every day is a I'm I'm trying to make a food connection. Not every day is a is a piece of cake or a bowl of ice cream, you know, sometimes you're eating something spicy or sometimes, you know, you're having the um, the sour, be- the gyoza. Is, is that mm. what they call it? Some, sometimes you're doing the that, umami. you know, some, and, and, and we need to treat music that way, you know, acknowledge and celebrate the spectrum as much as we can so that the things that we think are a little different or a little left field just become um, a part of that spectrum of music, especially when we're talking about, classical music i think it's important to for all of us in our various Presentations to figure out how to do that. So shout out to Minnesota Orchestra for an incredible concert last week that included the uh, Hale Smith. I'll have a link uh, to that recording that uh, we just listened to a little bit in the description. Shout out to all of the radio hosts like you, Scott, who are you know convincing audiences that oh my gosh, this is a great piece of music or whatever. You know, <laughs> see that's your talk about my Buddhism. You know, that's expedient means. That's mm-hmm. you saying <laughs> what you think you need to say to get them onto it. You know, so as we you know consider more of that spectrum I think our job here on Triloquy is to expand that spectrum even further so that things that weren't always considered classical are considered classical and a part of that spectrum of musics to be celebrated alongside Beethoven and all of those folks or maybe we should just you know get rid of them like i tend to say that's (laughs) what you say but at the very least you know the compromise i think can be to just acknowledge more of the spectrum and celebrate it all as equally viable and equally important in this genre of music that we call classical music that's what we're here to explore anyway let's jump in I'm Scott Blankenship, and this is Triloquy, Opus 169. Thank you so much for everyone continuing to come back and listen to this show. We really appreciate your support week after week. We couldn't do it without you. To new listeners, if this is your first time checking out the Triloquy podcast, Triloquy is a show that takes the phrase classical music and challenges the traditions surrounding it. We take conversations, we take compositions and everything in between and approximate it to that phrase in a larger effort to decolonize the phrase classical music so that our American uh, uh, perspectives, our contemporary perspectives, fit into the conversation of classical music for more information about the Triloquy podcast to check out past opuses to learn a little bit about the folks who helped make this possible and to contribute to the Triloquy podcast visit our website trilloquy.org in addition to your very generous support support for the Triloquy podcast comes from Schubert Club they have some incredible things coming up here in autumn you know the leaves are starting to turn it seems like you know you talk about you're getting over a cold, mm-hmm. the 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 way that the weather just flipped the switch here in Minnesota yeah. overnight. You know, we were in the 70s and 80s one day, and then the next day I'm I'm getting a jacket out because it's 40-something degrees. That's right. You know? And I'm trying to be Minnesota Hardy, talking about oh 40 degrees. Oh, that's not really cold. But I went outside one good time, and I said, all right, let me go ahead and grab my jacket. There is <laughs> there is a difference
1: between 40 degrees after having 75 and 80 degrees. Absolutely. And having
0: 40 degrees after
1: it being 20 below.
0: That's what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, because right, because 40 degrees in the fall in Minnesota, you're bundling up. Mm-hmm. 40 degrees in March or April, it's time to go swimming. You'll you be know? on Crocs. <laughs> anyway, Shubert Club has some incredible stuff coming up uh, this fall season, including our song, our story, the new generation of black voices. Uh, it's an evening celebrating the world's most well-known arias, art songs, and spirituals created and directed by composer, conductor, and multi-genre musician Damien Sneed. Shout out to Damian. Need, a homie of mine hey, that's coming out on November 18th with the Schubert Club. And then a little later on next month, Schubert Club is presenting Kids Jam, Journey Through Afro Brazilian Music with Ticket to Brazil. Listen to and learn about the exciting and energetic music of Brazil. Create your own percussion instrument and play along with cello, guitar, flute, and more percussion. That's coming up on November 29th. You can learn more about what the Schubert Club has going on again at schubert.org. Scott and I have some really great music coming up in the second movement today. Shelly Washington is the third movement guest. I'll talk a little uh, little bit more about her in a bit, but for right now, we will jump into movement one. I also want to um, acknowledge before we uh, jump in. Uh, last week's Opus of uh, Triloquy came out on Yom Kippur, so I hope uh, everyone Jewish had a, a an easy fast uh, mm. last week. I will say our the office at the American Composers Orchestra uh, were closed, so um, I, I didn't have to be in front of my emails so much on Wednesday. And I have to say, the three day week weekend, the three day weekend is one thing. I think there need to be more midweek bank holidays. And I, right? I think in New York, they they acknowledge uh, uh, in the workplaces, a lot of the Jewish holidays. So you have a lot of Wednesdays off and Thursdays off. But there was mm. just something so replenishing about working Tuesday, Wednesday. OK, I can breathe on uh, Wednesday. And then Thursday, Friday, I jump back in. I, I, want, I want to do more of that <laughs> but personally. Mm. So the again, the three day weekend is one thing midweek breaks Let, let's let's do that so anyway I i'm willing it,
1: to try it out but i like to have them i like to have days off stacked
0: together have them together yeah so anyway i, I hope every, uh, all of our all the all of the jewish listeners had an easy fast um on yom kippur and then uh, i also do want to acknowledge that we are taping this on Indigenous Peoples Day. That'll right. that'll come up in the second movement. And I have a couple things to say in the Triloquy movement um, about that. But anyway, uh, getting into this week's Accidentals, I'm going to get us going with a sharp. Um, I'm reading here from uh, the website 411 Mania. Uh, this is a uh, an article that speaks to a, a television program that's going out uh, right now called uh, The Dark Side of the Ring. Actually, what's it called? Oh, it's called uh, Tales from the Territories. And um, so basically it's a, it's a TV show about the history of wrestling and wrestling matches. It's, <laughs> it's hosted by um, The Rock, you know, Dwayne The Rock Johnson, you know, yep. one of those you know where's my hold on let me let let me get myself together dwayne the rock johnson because you know Mm -hmm. he's been fine for years (laughs) but uh you you basically have a roundtable discussion on this show with a number of wrestlers uh including jerry the king lawler who if you're from memphis a celebrity, you know, whether, know you're, whether you like him or not, you know, ran for mayor a few times. See, we weren't we weren't having that. You know, in, in Memphis, we we elect politicians to <laughs> to political seats where I moved here from. But, you know, um, what's the wrestler's name? Kane. I don't know if you remember the wrestler Kane. Mm, vaguely. He, he's the mayor down in Knoxville. So they got a wrestler for a mayor. <laughs> but <laughs> anyway, this show um, Tales from the Territories uh, was on TV and they were talking about Memphis wrestling and. I didn't realize how big wrestling was in Memphis relatively. So mm-hmm. growing up, you know, I went to wrestling matches all the time. My uh, great-grandmother, may she rest in peace, you know, she loved wrestling well mm-hmm. into her 80s. She was sitting in front of the TV getting excited about it. Were you a a, a wrestling fan at any point? <laughs> when
1: I, yeah, I remember in the 80s, Sunday afternoons were all about wrestling. But see, this, is, this was back in the day before the makeup and the costumes and all the choreography that you have now. Mm-hmm. Guys came out in singlets. I mean, just that's as cos- they were. That's a
0: costume as far as I'm concerned. Just as
1: they were. <laughs> and they come out and they were actually doing some real wrestling moves. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to give a shout out to uh, an Omaha resident. At least he, he was born in Montreal, but he died in Omaha. His, his name was Joseph Maurice Vachon, mm-hmm. or as I knew him, Mad dog Vishon. Sure. And he was just one of those crazy, you know, he, he acted insane uh-huh. on the camera. He was growling and barking and everything, had his beard cut to look like he had two little teeth coming yep. up
0: there. Yeah.
1: But when I'd see him jogging in the streets, you know, he'd just go, hey, boys. is your mm-hmm. look? You know, he
0: was just this sweet guy. So he wasn't completely kayfabed. He did no. leave the character in the yeah, ring every yeah. now and again. Yeah. Well, anyway, so I'm watching this show. They're talking about Memphis wrestling. I'm, I'm getting into it, getting all nostalgic. And they start talking about how from week to week, they would do different events in different cities and become regulars in more cities than just Memphis. Right. Another right. one of those cities Touring. was Louisville, Kentucky. So there's Starting to talk about Louisville, and all of a sudden they're talking about the Louisville Symphony and and the, the the relationship that they had with that. So let me read uh from this uh article here. So um it says so there uh, again, I'm there's a, a round table of uh, wrestlers here, and one of them is Dutch. It says here, Dutch says Uh, that he had an opposite experience than uh, going and performing in prisons when he performed alongside the Louisville Symphony. The idea was the orchestra was going to provide a soundtrack to what was happening in the ring. The (laughs) ring was in a pit like the orchestra pit and raised up like the ring from Rocky 4. I'm reading here. (laughs) And he says this is awesome. The match was between Dutch and Jeff and the fans were doctors and lawyers who had no clue what they were watching But by the midway point, they started getting into it. This is just fantastic and awesome in ways I can't explain. Dutch, Ever the Heel, broke a drum over someone's (laughs) head, and Jeff ends up getting the win with a sunset flip. And, And while watching the show, you know, they're showing clips of this wrestling match. Uh, With the orchestra, when uh, one of the wrestlers was pinned and the percussion is improvising, one of the wrestlers was pinned and all of the percussion section, they find something to bang on for the one, two, three, you know, uh, shoulder down thing. It was just just incredible. I couldn't believe what I was watching on TV. It comes on uh, Vice. Shout out to Vice. So I want to learn more about this time in history. Based on the footage, it looked like it was late 80s or or early 90s. So I'm just scouring the internet and I cannot find this footage. I cannot find a video from this wrestling match. It must be uh, archived somewhere. And it just makes me think about the many, many things where uh, orchestral music has touched the rest of the world that we don't think about or that we don't know just because there wasn't Instagram back then. There wasn't uh, there aren't quote tweets for us to go look up. I I, I cringe thinking mm-hmm. about how many orchestral just regular people events took place that we'll never know about. What What do you think about wrestling meeting the the concert hall, meeting an orchestra performance? I'll, I'm going. I'm I'm intrigued. <laughs> <If> that happens. <laughs> I'm intrigued. But question.
1: Yeah. Do you know of any professional wrestlers that are also musicians?
0: Huh. There are um, shoot, and I'm sorry that I'm not thinking of their names, but there are some trombone player wrestlers, and actually, a part of their gimmick these days is to go out on onto the uh, onto the not the court, the ring, uh-huh. and like play a, a trombone melody before they start wrestling. I'm sure okay. the trombone has been broken over someone's head. Pete, so, Pete, put me onto them. Shout out to Pete <laughs> Collin. <laughs> so,
1: my my question is, if you can get something like that going, where you have a wrestler who a wrestler who also plays an instrument. Can you imagine the band improvising as the wrestling match is going on, and then they tag out with the musician, <laughs> and then the musician gets into the ring, and the one who was wrestling now has to improvise the music
0: <laughs> after they've tagged out? All sorts of possibilities. The The, the trombone player's <laughs> name is Xavier Woods. Let, let, let's listen to a little bit of their presentation All here.
2: Something to say. We are your new tag champs. New, new day, day, new, new day. It's pretty good.
1: Couple so little great.
0: trombone notes in there. The mm. ra- wrestling is getting interesting. <laughs> 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 uh,
1: uh- all right, I think that I might pony up the money to see her.
0: <laughs> to go see Xavier see- Woods play this trombone? <laughs> and then it's see him, watch him wrestle. And, and the quality of the sound is pretty good, too. <laughs> you can tell there's some good air going into that trombone. Yeah. Anyway, um, so yeah, would, would 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 you pony up that money? Or not? I know you would pony up the money. Do you think people you know wrestling fans you know would just say you know what fine let's go to the symphony if it's going to be some wrestlers there is that a is that a, a viable non-sort of tokenizing way for orchestras to get folks who had never been there before into the orchestra hall if they set up a ring and let people beat the shit out of each other? i'm gonna i'm, I'm, I'm gonna be honest
1: i'm gonna be honest and i'm gonna say that that is really reaching you said i mean reaching? they are they are really
0: trying they're really grasping at new ways if they're going that i route. would have that attitude and i would be there i would be like okay minnesota orchestra is pulling out all the stops let's go mm. <laughs> mm. there was a but uh, at, oh, go at, the ahead. Same,
1: at the same time i mean if you, you could really make a critique on on what you think about the viola you know, you could go over and just grab it and bash it over somebody's head. Yeah. You know,
0: or or you know, you could end you could dunk somebody into a kettle drum. Or, but, but see what you would have to do. What would have to be a part of the show is the conductor getting involved. Oh, the, okay. the, the conductor needs to be Stone Cold Stunning or, or whatever the, the fancy wrestling move is <laughs> mm. Mm. these days. I mean, the former the former president was stone cold stunning so you know mm. he 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 got involved with wrestling so yeah. <laughs> so why not the the orchestra industry anyway um in in connection with this I found a classic FM article you know in in the midst of my looking for this Louis the then Louisville Symphony footage of wrestling you know I couldn't find it but I did find a classical FM article that says classical music and wrestling 10 wrestlers who use classical entrance music. We got the Hallelujah Chorus as entrance music for Damien Sando. Uh, we got Pomp and Circumstance for Macho Man Randy Savage. Do you, do you remember Pomp and Circumstance being a part of Yes, I do. Oh, do you? Okay. the Not the graduation part, or, or was it the... You bet. And he came out with his arms <laughs> out, like he was just being worshipped on all sides. Wow. Also... Um, uh, gorgeous George used pomp and circumstance. Yeah. You, do do yeah. you know Gorgeous George? Not as well as the others, no. But I, I know of of him. Yes. They say Triple H used Beethoven's Ninth. I remember uh, Triple H's heyday. That's when I was going to Monday Night Raw and mm-hmm. doing all that in Memphis. I don't remember that Daniel Bryan with Ride of the Valkyries, Jerry the King Lawler with the Great Gate of Kiev. I guess that's Mazursky, right? From right. Uh, pictures at an exhibition. So a lot of a lot of crossovers. Um just wanted to bring that in. It was something that I had fun thinking about and engaging on TV. You know, again, I'm if I'm sitting in front of the the TV and I'm not expecting to, you know, for them to talk about orchestras or or nothing like that and to see that A was exciting for me, I was like, "Okay, wow. This is a this is <laughs> a thing that's happening." But the whole time the wrestlers are sitting around the table talking about what did they call this Symphony of Doom? I think was the name Symphony of Destruction was the name of the event. They keep talking about oh and you know we I'm sure we had all those highbrow people just shook and X Y and Z. Yeah. So you know it, it's it's also important to just remember the general idea that a lot of people, as I say, the uninitiated have about those spaces. You have these wrestlers who are world famous now, who in 2022 or whenever they filmed that special are thinking about orchestral audiences in that way. So we have a lot to do, a lot of work to do still to normalize the idea of regular old people in those spaces and not upper crust sort of fancy people as they continue to think about it today. I would love to
1: see the reaction from folks like norman Lebrec
0: i would love to get his review of a of a wrestling symphony combo no because if they know he's in the audience he's gonna somebody's gonna pull him in the ring or something, <laughs> and the conductor will get him from the top of the turnbuckle yeah <laughs> well,
1: boom um, down he goes
0: <laughs> well among the people named uh in this uh 10 wrestlers who use classical entrance music. Number two was Ric Flair with also Sprock Zatathustra. I actually do remember that, you know, shout yeah. out to Ric Flair, but you know, Ric Flair came into pop culture a few years back. I think 2017 or 2018 when, um, uh, offset and Metro boom and, and 21 Savage came up with a little tune called Ric Flair drip. You, your cultural competency um, <laughs> has extended far enough for you to understand drip. So, you know, for the for the public radio folks listening right now, what do we mean by drip? What am I talking about? All of your effects,
1: your clothes, your accoutrement, mm-hmm. your whole manner as you present is your drip. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, let me put it in um,
0: Liberace. Right, had some drip. Oh yeah, he was he was definitely dripping. When I went down to uh Memphis for a wedding, my uh one of my cousins, I was like, oh, I, I see, you. I, I see this blazer you got on. He said, well, I got to leave a little something for y'all to mop up. So you know, <laughs> anyway, so so drip. That's what we're talking about.
1: I have to give a, a shout out to uh, a listener. Uh, her name is Rain. She writes in every once in a while, and uh, I <laughs> I was talking about Maurice Ravel going to a, a tailor before he went on a yacht mm-hmm. ride. I said, yeah, he went down, he had to get some drip for the trip. And, <laughs> and, she, and she was like, I never thought I'd hear that.
0: But, but she, but, you know, shout, shout, out, to, shout out to Scott Blankenship, <laughs> uh, get, get, getting the people together with some contemporary culture on classical radio. Mm-hmm. Anyway, let's listen to a little bit of this tune, Ric Flair Drip, you know, wrestling meeting hip hop culture. And the song goes, it has a nice little ostinati in there. If mm. We want to use our classical language. Mm. Ric Flair Drip. 21 Savage, offset and Metro Boomin'. Metro boomin' wants some
3: more nigga. Going to the jeweler, but the AP yeah. Slyin on the water like a jet ski. Yeah. I'm trying to fuck you on your best T, yeah. Chopper with this course, so do not test me, yeah Rick flood, drip, go, who on a bitch. 5790, spit the cool for my wrist. Multi-million dollar, I'm a fool with the hits. Hop up in the lemon, drop the roof, show the tits. Popin' but you really not going to shoot. Ninety points time a diamond, look like who a lot never hesitate to give tape and about bag the cash accumulate we
0: they and they had Ric Flair in the video I love how he's just and Ric Rick Flair is having the time of his life right in I mean because he got the drip and that's it. see <laughs> think about that we have a white man a middle-aged white man who set out the uh the the culture of just being brightly uh, adorned and Ostentatious. You know, just, just having all of this muse, uh, music, all of these costumes and jewelry, and that inspiring a culture that is completely aside from it and the coming together of those cultures <laughs> through music. What if classical music could do, could do anything what like if? that? <laughs> Because Ric Flair don't have nothing to do with hip hop, but here he is in a hip hop video having the time of his life, you know. Mm. And I bet you there was even more fun that happened when the cameras went off, you know. Oh, I'm sure you, if, you, if 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 you're familiar with hip hop culture. Sure. So anyway, that is that is so exciting. I love it. And you know, Offset even uh, I think performed Ric Flair drip at a at a, <laughs> at a wrestling match, you know, to at, on a Ric Flair celebration day or or something like that. Mm. Anyway, cultures coming together through music, you know, classical music, meeting wrestling. There's so many opportunities out here for the field. And I hope that before I lay down for the last time, I can say that I went to a concert where I saw somebody get stone cold stunted or or suplexed or whatever, that would be a show (laughs) that I would be at. (laughs) Off the turnbuckle, right into the string section. (laughs) But see, you know, we, we, we got to get, Orchestral musicians to get the stick out of their ass at the same time, you know, and be open to something like that. You know, maybe we figure out a way to do some sort of choreography where the wrestler does crash into the woodwind section. No one, <laughs> no one instrument is heard, or maybe you bring in your B instrument or something. That th- That is the extent to which we have to go to really engage new audiences in a new way. You know, my my upstairs neighbors, maybe he don't want to go hear Beethoven, but if I tell him, listen, it's going to be some wrestling and some music. You want to go? I think I could get him to say yes. <laughs> so to all of the artistic planners out there, consider some wrestling next time. <laughs> and it certainly sounds like all
1: those kids are wrestling upstairs already, so...
0: <laughs> all right, well, uh, what what accidental you got for us this week?
1: Um, I I've, I've got a... I'm
0: going to give it a flat here. Oh, okay. Um, actually. We'll give, we'll give the sentiment in the article a flat, but we're right. we going to give Chi-Chi a sharp, a couple of sharps. Anyway, yeah, what, that, what, what are we talking a, about? Yeah. This is another one of
1: those instances where I'm uncertain as to what direction to go with it. But there's one thing I am sure of is that this is definitely a contender for one of the longest headlines that I've ever <laughs> read. I'm reading from the dailymail.co.uk UK. Fury after woke orchestra, which has received more than one million pounds of public money, refused to play the national anthem after the Queen died because it symbolizes the racist British
0: Empire, despite its director and founder previously receiving a CBE. Can we talk about the word woke for a second? That has so quickly been turned into a conservative pejor- pejorative. Yeah, Um I don't. If someone calls me woke, I'm not going to take that as a as a pejorative. But whenever you see it used, it's used in a way that says, "Okay, here comes the woke crowd doing Mm -hmm. this or doing that," and and that's what's happening here in this article. Correct.
1: Mm -hmm. So um, they're pointing out that uh, this orchestra, Chinook Orchestra, has received a million dollars worth of public money. They have been. uh, I think the CBE is a recognition that's just short of a knighthood. But it does recognize contributions artistically right. to the country. Uh, Chineke Orchestra performed at the Swiss Festival, the Lucerne Festival during morning the morning period. Yeah, uh, I think it was ten days, right? Morning period of Queen uh, Elizabeth Queen, Queen Elizabeth's yeah. death. You're not supposed to exercise, play sports, do anything festive or anything, and people will beat your ass. Because that happened in like the morning line, you know, there was there was somebody that was protesting and they got the hell beat out of them.
0: Uh, the founder and they and art- call indigenous people savages. Anyway, right. go
1: on. Uh, founder and artistic director Chichi and uh, Wanuku banned "God Save the King." Now, that was a huge gesture. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, in, in in that moment, and in the article, let me see if I can find it here. In an email, Ms. Nwanku wrote, the Chiniki Orchestra is full of musicians who are not from the UK and many who are the direct result of the ancestors being enslaved. We will not be playing the national anthem in Lucerne. I I, I think that that was a, a very bold and courageous move. We talk a lot about the differences between uh, the, the the racial issues between the United States and in England. Mm -hmm. And I just think that that was just an incredibly bold step for them. Yeah. Uh, She points out that she was trying to be sympathetic to the people in her orchestra. Right. Because when uh, when Philip died, they had a moment of silence before they played. And that there were people in the band that were going, we don't even want to do that. Yeah. You know, so I think that it was just incredible. I think that she showed real leadership in caring for her musicians in that moment and also just provided a real model you know, for, for, for people around the, uh, around the world.
0: Mm-hmm. I'm thinking about, you know, you mentioned uh, Katie and Delaney from classically black a little earlier. I'm, I'm thinking about Delaney. <laughs> she tickles me so much. Well, I, she's one time, she told me, you know, they talk about here in the United States stand for the anthem. She said, y'all lucky I don't lay down, you know, <laughs> but yeah. I'm going to stay seated, you yeah. know? So I I think it's so easy for people to jump to, Oh, you're being disrespectful and, and da da But we have to consider the perspective of black folks, people, people of color especially indigenous mm-hmm. people you know mm-hmm. uh, again th- this is on the american side of things we have to consider that perspective when we think about the idea of patriotism or or pled or one pledging allegiance to a flag and, and to a country that it it represents when you think about the history of things. So that's on the American side. On the British side of things, when we talk about the concept of colonialism, I mean, who else but England? You know, I mean, the, mm-hmm. we, we can talk about the way that the Spanish language uh, took over Central and South America and that sort of colonization and, you know, uh, those sorts of things. But, you know, England is the last person to be talking right. about respect and that sort of thing in light of people who are the result of that that colonialism. In no, yeah,
1: in another email in regard to God Save the King, Chin, um, uh, Chi-Chi said, I would be extremely uncomfortable imposing it on people who, A, are not British, and B, who are not nationalistic, and C, the list goes on. Mm-hmm. It does not mean that we are not sad that the Queen died. Yeah. Um, one insider said, Chi-Chi was adamant that the anthem represents a British empire, which was race a racist institution and which was responsible for the persecution of many of the ancestors of the players
0: in that orchestra. Shout out, Chi-Chi. Um, and this podcast is called Triloquy. I'm going to keep it real. Shout out to Chi-Chi. I would not have expected this. Uh, this was a surprise for me to read, not because I don't think uh, Chi-Chi and Chiniki are are you know down with the cause and and trying to make change but because of what's laid out here in this article the arts and government that relationship is very different outside of the united states you know you have a lot of these orchestras across europe that are state funded musicians who are are state employees you know so it seems like something like this would be something that Mm -hmm. you know an, an ensemble like chineke just couldn't do but here I am being proved wrong. So, you know, I I live, now, I live. Shout you, out uh, to cheat sheet.
1: you always talk about how the story is really in the comments. Mm, okay, and uh, here we go. now <laughs> this one, this one has 1.3 thousand <laughs> comments.
0: Have you looked at any of them?
1: I don't have to, because I know what's in there. <laughs> and my question to you would be, what would you say to the people who say, well, then Shinneki should give back that 1 million pounds? That they should they should survive without that money that the government gave them. What do you think
0: Chiniki should give it back? No, and as a matter of fact, they need to give them more. That's what yeah, I was the, hoping. The 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 money the the little bit of money that y'all have given Chiniki they really need more because y'all have marginalized over there and Rob Robert uh uh Al, is it Robert Albert Hall or Albert Royal what? Hall the, the Royal Albert Hall um. Who are we talking about uh, last week with R.E.? I'm, I'm forgetting. South Bank Center, the South Bank. Mm-hmm. All of these mm-hmm. concert halls have spent a, a, a century or more marginalizing and pretending that works by women and by black composers and by um, other composers of color, just pretending that they don't exist. You know, Bo- Beethoven and Mozart and Haydn and all these folks, that is the only music that exists. So you spend that much time ignoring these composers, ignoring those aesthetics and ignoring the musicians who want to promote that music. No, you owe them more than a million pounds. So not only do they need to not give it back, y'all need to pony up some more. I get so tired, Scott, of just this idea that, you know, um, the the past has to be forgotten and that we have to be fully uh, patriotic. And, you know, we're disrespecting a country where we get X, Y, and Z. And mm-hmm. we'll, we'll we'll talk a little bit, you know, more about it in the triloquy. But before we cut on the mics, <laughs> I, I, I talked to you about that meme I saw where, where folks are like, well, you know, if, if we never came over to this part of the world y'all would still be worshiping the sun well the sun is real the sun actually (laughs) exists exists. you know um and (laughs) and and it's like there is just you know this idea that anything that does not fit into that white supremacist structure is um savage or Mm -hmm. less than or you should be so grateful to be here you should be so grateful x y and z shout out to chi chi I, i i hope that we see more and more and more of this god saved the king is not the same tune as um, Rule Britannia, you know, mm-hmm. but I think about Rule Britannia where the actual lyrics are. Britons never 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 will be slaves okay so you're saying those other black and brown people will enslave them but for us mm-hmm. we will never be slaves so you want people of color to to have pride in that and you want orchestras especially predominantly uh, people of color orchestras to play this racist colonial music Chi Chi got it 100% right Chi Chi is going to be okay and Chi Chi is going to have way more support from people who weren't thinking about Orchestras or, or uh, people of color orchestras, I think the support for Chi Chi is gonna explode, you know, uh I and, hope and, so, and, and in a good I, way. Yeah. There's one thing I wanted to pull from the article here. It says the move to snub the national anthem was first revealed on the slipped disc classical music <laughs> website. Its owner Norman Lebrecht, our friend Norman Lebrecht said it's terribly disappointing that a young British orchestra representing the country during a week of state mourning was unable to perform the national anthem as a mark of respect to the late queen. That's damaging, not to Britain, but to Chinicky We need to, in and, and, and the same way that we are working to define success and excellence in a different way than we have, I think we need to do the same for words like damaging, because it is not damaging Chiniky's record to have done this, maybe in the eyes of a white supremacist, but not in my eyes. If anything, mm-hmm. like I like I was just saying, this gives them street cred. This gives them points. It's not damaging at all. I mean, surely you don't think this has damaged Chiniky or Chiniky's brand or what Chinniky can do in the future.
1: Maybe in some of those bigger venues, you know. Uh, I but uh, I, I I doubt that she's going to see. Uh, a, a huge deficit in listenership or attendance because of this.
0: No, because when I see her in Detroit for Sphinx uh, at the end of January, I'm gonna give her a giant hug. <laughs> I'm gonna be like, Chi-Chi, what can I do for you? You know, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Let, let 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 me serve. Let me serve you. You know, how how can we help? So anyway, it, it it might seem
1: like such a small thing to us, but I I mean it was a it was a huge show of leadership. I think yeah for for Chichi to do that. That is not a milieu that it is easy to stand up in that way. Mm-hmm. And she did it. And uh, by all accounts, Chinooki Orchestra gave a hell of a show there in Lucerne. Yeah, So hats off.
0: Yeah. Whew, goodness gracious. It it just it it excites me. This is what pushing the needle looks like, you mm-hmm. know, here over here in our young little baby country, you know, it's orchestras that are still performing the national anthem, the American national anthem to begin the season. And there are, you know, audience members, I'm sure, or board members funders who would think that it would be inappropriate or blasphemous to not do that. For Chiniki for Chi Chi to stand up against an age old empire, yeah. you know. That yeah. That is movement, that is activism, and I take off my hat to Chi-Chi Nwanoku. Thank you for the work you're doing over there. You are on the front lines in many ways. Like I've often said, I don't know how I would engage the conversation of decolonizing classical music over at the you know, colonizer home base, right. <laughs> but Chi-Chi is doing that work, and, and I celebrate it. We all celebrate it here over at Triloquy. From
1: inside the mothership. Thank you. Thank
0: you, Chi-Chi Well, uh, there are a lot of uh, interviews and and talk media from Chi-Chi on the internet But I found an excerpt from a program uh, called Shooting Star from 1994 Where Chi-Chi is performing of uh, the Sweet Gavotte by composer Hans Friba F-R-Y-B-A So we're going to listen to Chi-Chi play this bass a little bit to get us into the second movement Shout out to Chi-Chi Duanoku You out here doing the work Thank you still a lot of people who have never heard the bass played like that oh i'm sure we think of the cello as one of those solo instruments but a lot of a lot of folks have yet to think about the bass in that way and Mm -hmm. we have the bass concertos you know the bodicini and the i'm forgetting the the, i think there's an even more famous one that that folks play but um I, I, i live i i cannot celebrate chi chi enough in this moment. That is incredible. And then on top of that, it's not like, you know, last week when we were talking about Tox Dada, and he was arguing that he's not an outsider. Don't treat me like an outsider. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking about that here when it comes to Chi Chi. She is someone who plays the bass at a world-class level. So it's not like she's just uh, throwing rocks from the from the sidelines, right. she has gone through the system. She went to those royal schools and and you know created these orchestras and and did everything that she could. And within that skill set is fighting against and pushing against colonialism and 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 white supremacy and this white centricity of classical music. I'm celebrating her. Goodness gracious, so incredible to 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 have this story. Um, all uh, all of that will be linked. In the uh, description, but we are now here in the second movement, where Scott and I are going to take the second ending and talk a little bit about some music we've been spending some time with. Kick us off, Scott. What you got?
1: Since it is Indigenous Peoples Day, I wanted to highlight the work of uh, a pianist that I've been uh, listening to for about a year now, hmm. and uh, he's based down in Phoenix. He is a Navajo pianist named Connor Chi. And I had an interview with him where one of the things that I really wanted to get his opinions on is the way indigenous music can be interpreted through our more Western instruments, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Um, Because one of the things that he talked about was that his father was a powwow singer and he was trying to um, archive. Uh, some of his performances and 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 record them, and how when they when they were working to archive things, say for example, his father would start singing a song in A sharp, mm-hmm. and then he would go to like a some sort of a a powwow or a dance competition, and then his father would start singing in F, yeah, you know the same thing, but it was about all about feeling. Uh, and he said, you know, keys don't necessarily work right. in indigenous music and the rhythms are also different. You know, the, the, the way that a, a drum circle works doesn't necessarily line up with the way that we would count in, in a, in a song in the Western style. And why right? would it? Right. But there, there's, uh, there's a, there's a piece of music that I wanted to uh, bring in that it's it, actually the whole album is pretty incredible, but, um. Uh, Navajo, Navajo vocable is the uh, is the release. And what can I say other than Connor just has a way of conjuring those indigenous images mm-hmm. using the piano in a way that I haven't heard before? and there's there's something about number one that kicks off this album that, I thought also really fits with the changing season right now, that um, it it works with the way the leaves fall, with the way the wind blows through, that I can just feel uh, the the history that he's trying to uh, uh, archive and keep alive in his music.
0: something so haunting about that for me, you know, uh, me and Dell went to the, uh, Midtown global market for folks who live in the twin cities, you know, y'all, y'all know the Midtown global market, just a place where you get all sorts of, um, I, I hesitate to say world culture or world food (laughs) because, you know, we've talked about that, but where, where, what is central is what people bring. To the space from their own respective culture so for example when i need a a new uh, dashiki or something african to wear to a fancy event a ball or a gala or something or i i go over to the midtown market so you know when we need some uh ground lamb or or food that you know isn't necessarily at target or or kroger that's sure. where we go so anyway me and Dill after leaving the buddhist center yesterday uh we went to the midtown global market and uh, there was actually a indigenous food demonstration by the Sioux chef from Awamni, which you know again was named the nation's best restaurant yes. not too long ago. A decolonized menu. Uh, go go check out uh, Awamni's website if you if you don't know that restaurant. Anyway, um, we saw the food demonstration, and then they had a, um, a a drum circle demonstration, and just throughout all of it, I, I, I get this deep feeling of. Sadness, maybe, maybe that's the word I should use, but just sadness or sorrow over what isn't just plain in front of our faces anymore that should be, you know, the real true culture of this part of the world that has just been erased. And we have to wait until Indigenous People's Day to to see it centered or, or to learn something more about it. There's just something just so sorrowful and ghostly about that. And I hear that. I'm reminded of that as I listen to this music.
1: G- ghostly is good. I mean, I'm not necessarily attaching it to uh, scary or sad yeah. But there's a reverence there that's that um, it's it's shouting out the that that history and sure a melancholy can be part of it. That's a good word. A a spirituality. There's there's a spirit Mm -hmm. in in Connor's music that he conjures
0: that I just don't find in many places. Connor Chi, go check out the Navajo piano. I'll have a link to that in the description. Happy Indigenous Peoples Day again. We'll get more into it in the triloquy but we need to start thinking about what repatriation actually looks like anyway we'll revisit that in a little bit but the the, the music that uh, i'm bringing in uh today is uh a tune that comes from the wind tree studio wind tree Studios. so you know, how I got to this, I had a, a heavy um, Buddhist weekend, and one of the groups that I uh, chant with and, and study with Buddhists of African descent, we had our little uh, virtual retreat. And one of the exercises was to uh, listen to and uh, even chant with, if if uh, the spirit so moved you, uh, this African drumming song called Ancestors Forever Mababu Milele and uh, again it comes from Wind Tree Studios I clicked on it just to see you know what what we're what we will be dealing with for our little retreat but I ended up returning to the piece of music over and over again so here's here's a little bit of it uh from the beginning Ancestors Forever Mababu, Mababu Milele Mababu Sure you can imagine you know if i'm listening to this and i'm getting into my you know i can really you know feel like i'm connecting with the ancestors and mm. having a spiritual moment mm. eventually in this uh in this recording there is some uh, melodic percussion that comes in some xylophone type instruments and it just adds to the the beauty and the magic of this aesthetic this classical aesthetic turned on the microphones and we were listening to a little bit of that in in preparation for this opus you sort of asked the question you were brushing up against it with the connor chi piece that you uh brought in but this idea of a western way of thinking about rhythm fitting on top of age old eons old rhythmic traditions Mm -hmm. and how we can think about that how is this in four, or four, or how? How should we? Right. What, what, what? were you wondering about in in exploring that question?
1: Well, for example, um, you know, in indigenous drumming, mm-hmm.
0: you know, the it, it,
1: you you might not even be able to uh, to find the one. You know, it mm-hmm. might be in five or seven or uh, part of it in four and the rest of it in eleven. I I, I don't you, know, I don't even know how to really ask the question. I yep. mean, it's just. It 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 doesn't fit neat and tidily into the Western way that we think about rhythm, doesn't right?
0: It? And and it and it shouldn't because you know that that is what decolonized or uncolonized music. I'll say that's mm. what that is. Again, thinking back to that um, indigenous drum circle that I saw at uh, at the Midtown Global Market yesterday singers would come in and out. There would be times where the drum is, you know, uh, struck much harder than before. And you could, I could tell that, from their perspective it was very systematized and it you know made a lot of sense but i couldn't key in into all right are we in bars there, or there. you know but but that that was a part of the beauty of it you know i'm thinking about the music i'm not thinking about the structures and traditions and mathematical equations that go with this i'm i'm thinking about the actual event that i have the privilege of of bearing witness to. So, you know, that that's 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 sort of how I engage that conversation. Not everything has to fit into that western classical way of understanding, you know. And we need to become more comfortable with that that's as we ex, as we expand our definitions of of classical music and and act on, you know, what that how that manifests in in performance spaces. Anyway, I'll I'll have that uh, linked in the description. Mama Bu Milele ancestors for Forever uh, from Wind Tree Studios. Really incredible, incredible piece of music is going to be in my regular rotation now, even sometimes uh, as I sit in front of the Gohonzon and chant. Just so glad to have come on um, this this piece of music. All right, well, we're getting into the third movement. This week's guest is Shelly Washington. I was so, so happy and honored uh, to sit down and talk with Shelly. She is from Kansas City, Missouri, uh, but hails uh, from New York City these days, I believe, uh, Brooklyn. And she has a uh, premiere coming up with the uh, Los Angeles Chamber Orchestra, a West Coast premiere of a work of hers called Both. I want to uh, read a little bit of the um uh, program notes here. Uh, She says, both is inspired by the many dualities I have and carry in my life. The ones I see and the ones I hope to someday achieve. As someone who often lives between both coasts, is attracted to both men and women, is a contributor in both classical music and do-it-yourself post-rock, is both black and white, experiences both extreme mental highs and extreme mental lows, is both a composer and performer, is both a student and a teacher, is both, is both is both. So that idea of living in two spaces um, inspired uh, this this piece of music so it's going to be performed uh, I believe October 15th by the Los Angeles Chamber Orchestra. We talk a little bit about the piece both we talk about life as a composer, a musician, and a human being. I was so glad to be able to engage Shelley in a conversation and so honored to present a bit of our conversation to each and every one of you today. To transition us into the conversation, I want to share a piece of music by Shelley Washington called Say. It's a piece of music for string quartet that utilizes vocals and, and other things and a great example of what Shelley Washington brings to the so-called classical music ecosystem. So here's a little bit of the opening of say as performed by the ensemble she LA. i'll also um shout out the audio engineer will stackpole who is a an uh, aco artist so anyway here's a little bit of say and uh here's my conversation with the one and only shelly washington say hi
2: say it low sing it fast say it high say it low sing it fast sing it slow Say, say, sing it fast. Sing
4: it low. Sing it fast. It slow. <laughs> sing, it low. It sing, sing it fast. Sing it slow. Who
2: are you? Who am I? Who are you? Who am I? Who Who am I? Should we
3: get you again? Should we, get? we should get to decide? We don't get to decide. We don't get, we don't get to, decide. to decide. Who are you? Who are you?
4: We don't get to decide. Say hi, say it low. Sing it fast, sing it low. Who are you? Who am I? We don't get to decide. racial, sexual, bipolar, like, I have, like, I have apparently coastal now, but it's like, those are just a couple of things. I also play in, like, a post-rock, evo-ish band, and I'm a track, classically trained musician, and I listen to a ton of rap, and that, just saying that, there's someone who can be like, oh my god. How dare you? I'm like, nope, oh, I'm allowed to like what I like.
0: Yep, <laughs> and still
4: be taken seriously. You can't shit on other people's things that they like. It's just mean and I that. But um, I just wanted the piece to say, hey, it's it's okay to embrace all of the parts of yourself, and you know, even if even if you think it's a bad thing um or like if you think it's a flaw however that was born it's still part of yourself and mm-hmm. um i really love psychology sociology it's just a, a special interest of mine i love you know reading new research or you know just like digging down in different rabbit holes and also you know introspection and empathy working on myself working with therapist and it's been a long process of self-discovery for me and coming to terms with oh that thing in my past it's actually trauma it's really bad and it affected mm-hmm. so many different aspects of my life and I acted in certain ways that my conscious brain is thinking oh this is bad you're a bad person but it's not actually that it's my subconscious shadow self coming out to you know do bad horrible things however it's still part of who i am and acknowledging and befriending that aspect of myself it's been very it's hard it's really difficult and it's scary but also i i'm really happy and it's, it's it's a nice feeling you know to embrace and like love yourself and
0: Yeah, you have me thinking about the idea of Shelley, the human being and Shelley Washington, the name that people read on a concert program and connect to this piece of music. What's that like for you? I mean, that that has to be such an emotional concept or idea of many people's first interaction with you or who you are as a person being their perception of what they hear based on what an orchestra is playing, how you were feeling that day when you were writing something. It seems so multi-layered.
4: It is horrifying, honestly. <laughs> and like, there are times where I'll be talking to my roommate, I'm like, I want to write music and be left alone. Like, and I know that it's, that's not how it works at all. I want to write music and I want to share it with people. But the, the I do think about this a lot because I didn't, I haven't, I have not been a, like, big hat composer my entire life. I actually, like, have only really been doing it for maybe the last, like, eight-ish years. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's a pretty immediate, um, like, separation of my life where I lived in Kansas City i played the saxophone i had I, I had finished a master's of education and then i'm like i want to do that which i know nothing about and i'm gonna hope for the best and i moved to new york and suddenly all of this is happening and there's still so much i don't know but i think there's a part in my mind that has always just thought oh well i started by writing you know with smaller chamber groups where we could hang out and these people are my friends. We've seen each other from time to time. But as I'm working, you know, with getting to work with these larger ensembles and these amazing soloists who are playing all over the world, I'm not, I don't get the opportunity to have that kind of connection with them. And it always makes me a little sad because I want that. But yeah. I also know I'm like, it isn't possible to, it's not humanly possible to do that and have that kind of relationship with every single person you meet. So it's kind of been coming to terms with um, the fact that I only get to have a relationship with someone and it's just like the tiniest, tiniest slice of someone's life or someone's relationship so I've met some amazing people that we had wonderful times working together or like audience members where we got to have like relatively long conversations and like actually discuss stuff and I might it's I I will most likely never see them again. Mm-hmm. And it makes me sad. But sometimes I'm like I wonder what that one very specific person is doing and I hope they're having
3: a good day.
4: But yeah. I I I'm probably never going to get used to it um I get like when someone's like oh my gosh I've heard your music I'm like ah like my, my gut reaction is like oh god oh god I'm so sorry and I'm like well no I shouldn't be sorry because I want that and I know that not everyone has to like my music I'm fine with that like that's what makes room for everybody it's personal taste and I'm like cool. that's totally fine but for the people who Do like either see themselves a little bit or they just enjoy it. And they approach me and they tell me that I do not know why my first reaction is just like abject horror. And it isn't that. (laughs) It's like a little bashful or I don't know. But it's scary conceptually. I guess it, I feel sometimes like my name is not a concept, but. Bigger than the person yeah. I am, and it's like the classical music realm is so much smaller than sometimes we think it is. I'm like, no, no, there's still the dorks in the corner. The still okay, which is cool. I'm like, I know I am a huge dork, and I live. I love that. I love it <laughs> so. It doesn't apply to every single person, obviously, but like classical music is niche. It's really small.
0: Yep. Um.
4: So I definitely under-
0: Well, I, I definitely understand what you're saying about your name being this. I, I think about it as a brand, like when people come up to me and say, oh, uh, you're Garrett. I listen to Triloquy and X- I'm like, OK, that's great. But my inner thought is I wonder what they think of who I am as a person, because the brand Garrett McQueen isn't the human being. It, it sounds like you're sort of speaking to that. It,
4: yeah. And it's I, I don't think I'll ever come to terms with that and i mean it really just means i have to hold the relationships i do have older harder they're Mm -hmm. they're really important to me and also you know whatever experiences i'm getting to have with people i meet hold those as tight as i can as well even if it's only for a moment but the Mm -hmm. the brand versus person thing (laughs) <laughs> I don't like it but I can't change I I, I can't really
0: do. What's how it like working it? What, What's it like working with orchestras as a composer it's one thing to talk about you know fans of your music but these are people who have to execute your music are you shy about I don't know telling the trumpet to play <laughs> it a little softer or telling the violin oh that's not quite right how do you traverse that
4: I, I uh, fall back on my training as a educator and like you know I I can if I take what is it the GRE in science I can go teach science which is great but my specialization was obviously in music and I'm like people learn the same way their entire life like you mm. can teach yourself to learn differently but like the way that your brain's gonna default to doesn't change you know and I mean, these are people that are professionals. They've been doing this their entire life. And I'm certain that they've had like really mean people be like, you can't play it that way. I'm like, my notes, my music. I'm like, hey, <laughs> you're going to interpret it the way you interpret it. And I want that in my music. But yeah, there are different times where I'm like, maybe tail that one back just like a teeny bit. But for orchestra, this piece is the first orchestra piece i've written like not in school so like i have a piece that mm. i wrote for the nyu orchestra but we had you know more time together to do that but this piece it's like i didn't really get a chance to workshop with the whole ensemble so my first time getting to hear the whole thing was the aspen uh orchestra
3: mm-hmm. which was
4: thrilling and also terrifying because i'm like is this going to be the same in real life outside of my brain and the confines of community. and there were things that i ended up changing like, oh this actually didn't work and i was so thankful for the percussionists who came up to me and they're like the drugs that you asked for are too big sound wise. are you comfortable with switching them out and i was like yes of course you are the masters of your trade you are mm-hmm. gonna know Way more obviously than I do, and I trust your judgment way more than I trust my judgment on those <laughs> kinds of things. I right. was so really grateful to them for that. But then you know, there's some some things that like techniques that not everyone is going to be as comfortable with. So there's talking in this piece where I give them a direction. I I just called it chatter as the uh, effect, and I say like. Whisper, murmur, inside voice, or exclaim. So that's like the, you know, the volume and amber levels you are working with. And I give them a little prompt, like talk about an animal that you saw that you wanted to pet, like surface level, like grocery stores, weather, but then more emotional things, like what's your favorite childhood memory? Um you know conversations with friends or something like that and mm-hmm. sometimes they are talking to themselves by themselves on stage which if that's not part of your performance practice is horrifying and yeah. feels really <laughs> awkward yeah. them. and i was like i straight up told them i'm like no one can see you no one can see who it is doing it on stage if that is any con- like comfort does that spotlight syndrome of like oh god everyone's looking at me like no one's eyesight is that good we don't know who it is. but you know working with them and getting up on the podium and explaining it was scary for me because i know it's something that's new to some people so it was partially figuring out how can i um Encourage them and give them some assurance that it's like it's it's gonna work, it's gonna be okay, you're gonna feel silly doing it. No one can see you if that's any comfort. However, from out there, it's super cool. I will get biased because I wrote it, but it was cool. Like, I was really happy with how it worked. So, it's, I guess it just depends. You can judge the energy of a room. I'm like, if someone's looking at me really grouchy, I'll like, wait until later to be like, maybe have a little chit chat afterwards. I'm like, I am not talking to you right now. <laughs> you are upset already. And I might have made a mistake in your part for which I am sorry.
0: <laughs> so, yeah. But surely you meet the folks who just dive all the way in. Like the things that some people consider silly when it comes to performing new music. You know, I tend to be the one to make the hissing sounds the loudest, or whatever the composer wants to do, like right. I'm, I'm totally taking it on. Ho- hopefully, you have that experience yes. with musicians as well.
4: Yes, it was great, you know. I, I remember one. I think it was the the first chair and like second chair of the second violins were basically leading the entire orchestra, and once they like, like they were already were confident about it but as mm. i was like yeah you guys sound great then they like up the ante but then everyone was like i want that <laughs> i want it <laughs> i'm like you're all doing a good job of these guys specifically but it was it made me really happy because some of them like one of the instructions was like it's an exclamation so it's gonna be loud i'm like pretend you're on the phone listening to someone else telling you a funny story
3: mm-hmm.
4: so we're just getting the reactions and i give them examples like oh my god or like that's crazy so you would just hear one voice like screeching out over everyone else and i was really happy when i just had you know i just giggle what yeah. i because it's different every performance but i like that and
0: yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, good, good luck in Los Angeles and hopefully they, they dive in as, as well. I, I wanted to um, back up away from the piece both specifically and talk more about Uh, just your life as a composer specifically when it comes to organizations built to support composers the first time i read about you and learned a little bit about who you are it was actually a feature produced by the american composers forum we have organizations like that we have new music usa american composers orchestra all of these organizations how impactful Um, has that wing of the arts been for you? There are a lot of people who say, well, what do these organizations do? How do you answer that question for yourself?
4: I'll say the support I've received from New Music USA, like some some of the organizations I've been able to work with have been more recent in my fairly brief career, Mm-hmm. however i mean the support that i received from them has enabled me to do stuff like this which is like the kind of wildest dreams like i get to fly to la and hear a piece i wrote for orchestra and like get all dressed up my parents are kind of like i get mm-hmm. to do this i know i'm so excited <laughs> just, like take them on tour i can't wait but it, it is it's open that sport has opened doors for me that I might have found later, but they pointed me in the direction to now. And I'm very lucky that that's happened in my life. Very great. I'm very grateful for that. And I, I know it's like, there are only so many grants that you can apply for. Yep. And as as someone who has judged stuff like that it's heartbreaking not being able to support everyone and yeah. i hate i hate having to choose but it's necessary and it isn't so much of a like someone is better than the other person but it's like maybe who needs this the most right now right but like, that kind of thing so i understand that they're not going to be able to help every single person every single time. They will, and I firmly believe that. And It's like as as you know, a classical music community, whatever that means, grows. As we're able to, you know, invite more people in, everyone gets lifted up at the same time. It's like the uh, rising tide lifts all boats. Down. Right. That kind of concept. So I'm like, you know, it is only going to start with like whatever their means are and like these really huge organizations, relatively to, you know, classroom music, yeah. but like these pillars of institutions who do have more money and more resources, like the ability to make connections, to financially assist you, to, you know put you in places like this where it's like hey you're gonna write for one orchestra but then you get to work with like six like the best bogo ever i love it i i i might i might have been able to do that for myself later but right now they've invited me to do something i've always wanted to and have given me the support to do it and that includes like you know personal organizing even like I'm not I have zero executive function as someone (laughs) with ADHD and I know someone listening to this it's but not everyone thinks and organizes and prioritizes things in the same way so like I struggle with time and timing things and scheduling things um and I have loved getting to work with like lego so when i go out and i'm working with la chamber workshop um and they're you know like oh do you want to go teach at this school oh do you want to go do this i'm like if it appears on a calendar i will do anything (laughs) they can get a little google calendar and they just populate it i'm like the five days or however long i'm here you guys get me for those whole five days and if i have to do anything else they're going to work around those little green dots and if they show up i'm there and that has it's a really small thing it has been hugely impactful on my like mental capacity to go and do the work and eventually present and not be super stressed about how long does it take for me to get from here to here and then how long am i going to be there like that is valuable so i mean it's really big
0: things but really small things too yep yep i wonder if you'll speak a little bit more to uh being <laughs> a human not just a composer but a human with adhd you've mentioned uh, that a couple times my partner uh, my my boyfriend has adhd so we engage in those conversations a lot Yep, gang gang all of that <laughs> uh, why, why why is it an important thing to consider when, when we're talking about creating music and the relationships that are built throughout that process and all of those things
4: yeah i mean it's something that obviously has been really stigmatized mm-hmm. everybody. like oh adhd just means like ooh, sparkly and oh you're lazy i'm like i have i am completely time blind like and it is not just that i'm ignoring the clock it's a i have i do not process time in a linear way it's very nebulous. so like i don't have the like time clock for how long you've been on this call right now we could have been here for 10 minutes it can also be 45 minutes i don't know i have no concepts so if i am like really in the groove i can easily work for 12 hours like i'll get up and go to the bathroom if i don't look at the clock i'm like yeah now, now i'll like you know go get dinner i'm like it is three in the morning <laughs> and i just don't realize that so in some ways i'm like i will harness this power of chaos and use it to my benefit but then there's also things where it's like i am late to a lot of things because i don't consider i, I know i have to go from a and then arrive at me at this time, within the time in between, it's like, that's a huge mystery. I don't know. So, and that, and, you know, executive dysfunction, figuring out, I have five things to do. Put groceries away, sign this incredibly important, life-changing document, walk the dog. You think the documents first, I'm like, I'm going a, I'm to a walk the dog first. Those, mm-hmm. there's, I understand that there are priorities, but, That part of my brain does not and doesn't care because they don't exist and it isn't like a willing like a willful ignoring of that it's that our little wires our synapses are just we built different and so one realizing all of these things and be giving myself grace and unlearning the thought of them being like, oh, it's a flaw. Oh, you're just lazy. ah oh, you're such a snake that Oh, it's like all of these other negative connotations. Like, it's not, that is not true at all. Like, I honestly thought I was really stupid for a long time because I didn't know my multiplication tables. I still don't. I'm not a stupid person. I have different learning abilities. I learn and process things in different ways. And I have a calculator, so I'm like, "Why would I need that?" (laughs) I'm I'm clearly not a stupid person. I use the tools that are at my advantage, and I'm able to do other stuff really, really well. But like, unlearning those things is really hard, especially when it is internalized from such a young age. And neurodivergency in general is really not not often discussed in a positive honest light so there's yeah. some you know tv shows that are trying to tackle you know what is you know someone who uh is autistic or you know working with someone who you know just different learning abilities stuff like that and the totally glamorized tv version that Sometimes I sincerely I hope that these Hollywood interpretations that there's a person in the room being like no, that's that's a no no, but mm-hmm. that doesn't it doesn't happen all the time. So so someone who has never worked closely with someone who's neurodivergent, by and large, unless they are doing research on their own, just don't they just don't know you know and it's it makes it easier for those people who don't know to like look at their watches and be like oh my god this person is late again they are irresponsible and just broad summary bad Mm -hmm. i'm like i am not bad i have i process and i learn and i participate differently they're not wrong But I do have a lot of cards stacked against me in a world that's not built for neurodivergency. And accepting that is very difficult. But I mean, a lot of people in the creative communities also have that experience. So I'm always grateful uh, working with people that understand that and are willing to work with me in a way to help me be successful which also just means letting me I just want to write music but I need help with that when it comes to like working with these big organizations and there's lots of like other stuff to do and writing the music like with the other stuff they all have the same priority level so my creativity and signing a paper carry the same weight but the thing you want me to do is the creative part so i need help with the other thing so when people are like yeah you know we, we're we gonna help you with what you need if you've asked for something they're like oh cool we understand that and don't make a big deal about it they're just like cool yes that is huge comfort i feel safe and that kind of safety lets me write music but also i don't have to feel like i need to mask and be like you know lizard person (laughs) shelly like i can just be the unmasked version of myself and that lets me write the music that's the most authentic
0: yeah and it's really encouraging to me that conversations about disability different abilities neurodivergency how it's becoming more normalized within our you know, musical spaces. We, we've we started to talk about and, you know, started to engage, you know, race-based equity or gender-based equity, but we have to spread that to uh, everything else as yeah. as well. Yeah. How can, uh, how can folks, I'll oh, go ahead.
4: Oh, no, I'm saying it's like the, you know, the practice of empathy and introspection. It's like, okay, if I don't know anything about this, then I need to go learn. And if I do have this, I possess, like, you know, whatever this is in my life, do I have the energy to, you know, be teaching people about all of this? And am I giving myself the grace mm-hmm. I deserve? So like, I am a whole, a I am a whole person with a rich inner world that is not worse than someone else's because it's different that kind kind of thing but you know for organizations that are wanting to get into that you need people in the room Mm -hmm. always like you need to build the table and not bring people in as a look at us look what we did you're sitting here it's not just a like are, are you bringing someone in to sit at the table and let them eat with you or like are they the meal kind of thing mm. and like that kind of mentality is something that i am aware of because i don't know you know if i'm being invited somewhere to talk i don't know if i'm just a box being checked and i as you know someone marginalized in a bunch of different areas and me always the media is suspicious that sucks but it's, it's, you know, self-defense mechanism. I have to look out for myself because I'm right there. So I better be keeping an eye on that stuff. But like, you know, it's, it's something I'm very conscientious of. So that like goes back to the like advocacy and stuff like that. So, right. um, you know, if an organization were, actually, I, I did get to I I got to work with a um, young composers program for quite some time and I, you know, like moved on and like graduated from that program, but they asked me to come back to talk to the other teachers about working with, um, students with, you know, students with disabilities or, you know, neurodivergencies or like gifted students and like how, how can you be an effective educator? Mm -hmm working with like large groups of people how do you meet one person eye to eye in those kinds of strategies so like i made a little worksheet i'm like here is essentially you know four years of study in like two hour blitz like let, let's go but I'm like you have to ask someone you have to realize that you need help and then ask for someone and then ask for someone who's not to be like you are bad because you don't know this book. Like, mm-hmm. I want I want to actually help you be an effective educator. But also so you know in your life it's like oh hey this actually applies to not just little kids. You don't grow out of it. Well, it's like some people apparently do. I clearly did not grow out of that. <laughs> so it's like it's not just a thing for little kids. Grown-ups have it too. And we just don't always know that. Or we just think, wow, that person is really lazy. Mm-hmm. No, no, that's not how that works. So it does, it does happen. And it made me really happy that I was invited to come back and do this. And like, you know, use that all other degree of education, like all of that stuff. But you know, for larger institutions who are, you know, trying to reform themselves into an actual like level playing field they have they have to do the actual work which is not easy it's so much easier said than done
3: mm-hmm. and the
4: willingness to do that i i i just have to sincerely hope that that desire to take on the action and look within the organization and for them to talk to each other and be like, if some, if they see someone else clowning, then they're like, you cannot do that. We actually have to tell each other when something is not going right so you can address it head on. And I, I don't think that's gonna happen in every single organization that says that they want it to happen literally
0: just have to look the best on that but mm-hmm. yep. yep yep
3: indeed yep. <laughs> well
0: ba- based on you know the the upcoming west coast premiere of both i wanted to wrap up with a sort of duality themed question so today i've spent a, a good amount of time on the band camp page of good looking friends hey! I, bought, I bought my own copy of oh! the light of the well so oh, you know, thank I'm, you I'm, I'm, I'm your newest fan oh. most people would think of <laughs> Shelley Washington, the composer, and Shelley Washington, the member of this band, as two completely separate things. Um, but you're you're one person. You're the same human being. Do you have aspirations of joining those two worlds? Is it possible for a crowd that comes to see your band to be the crowd that comes to see one of your compositions performed they by an orchestra? Oh,
4: they do. Which is, I love that. It has been. I mean, since it was such a childhood dream of, you know, me to be in a band that also meant, like, am I cool enough to hang out with all these (laughs) cool rock people in Brooklyn? And, like, I, you know, started showing up to shows. I'm like, I am not cool. (laughs) And that is not true because everyone is, like, super chill. And that community, they're my friends. And, you know, if I invite them to shows, they're like, hell yeah, let's get to the gig. And it goes to the same, like, I go see their bands sometimes i get to play with them and they're like you have a classical music concert what do i wear I'm like
0: oh, whatever yeah. you want yeah <laughs>
4: and i'm like it does not matter if you feel like getting fancy you can or just roll up it's fine but um actually like the in in my music uh zach and, and sean and adam are you know the other three members have have it actually a huge impact on what I write. So a lot of the uh ridiculous percussion stuff I write is Adam's fault. He's our drummer, Dr. Mm-hmm. Rock. And he's one of the most just gifted drummers I've ever heard. You know, he's not like specifically trained or anything. He just loves it. He's a yeah. whole whole ass psychiatrist, the doctor, the good doctor, and the man shreds. So that's sneaks its way into my music a lot you will hear that in both the last movement is as described by uh one of my good friends this is a percussion concerto I'm like no it's not yeah i kind of like what he is for one only. Like, but then like you know i have other music where there are things that they really inspired me in. like that is such a cool thing i always like tell them i'm like i'm stealing from you i'm not I'm like you know, you guys have had a really big impact on the music I write, it's important to me. So I don't know if a lot of the classical community would want to come stand around for, like, four bands, and it's dark and loud. I don't know. They're always welcome to It's a Good Hang. Always lots of fun Bring an place. However, you know, I love my little grubby punk friends who are also doctors, they come out, which is really
2: (laughs) cool.
0: track's called No Thanks from the band Good Looking Friends. So in addition to being a composer of instrumental music, uh, as, as, you know, the classical industry tends to think of it, Shelly Washington also writes and uh, plays guitar for a band. So, you know, again, that idea of both we're talking about living in two different worlds. Such an incredible person for me to meet. You know, I'm spending more and more time in New York these days. Can't wait to go. Have a drink, you know, knock a couple back with with Shelley Washington and and explore some of these things more. I want to jump back to the piece that we um, got into my conversation uh, with the piece. Say, uh, you said you hadn't heard anything quite not like quite that
1: like before. that. No, no. As a matter of fact, I can't think of many instrumentalists who are comfortable with their singing voice. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> that was that was pretty cool to hear. Uh, the members of the quartet actually vocalizing and
0: yeah and hocketing. Yeah, yeah. One of the things that Shelly and I talked about was the distance between a person as a brand or as an idea and a person as a human being. So, you know, Shelly talked about how a lot of people know the name Shelly Washington and know her through the music that she has created based on the venues and, you know, the, the different things that uh uh go into someone knowing her as a composer versus the Shelling Washington that uh the folks in her band good looking friends know or her family knows or just, you know, other other friends, the Shelly Washington that they know and how there can be a distance between those things. I've thought about that for myself, Garrett McQueen as this sort of brand or this voice that people know versus the Garrett McQueen that you know and mm-hmm. you know that that Dell knows it's even for me you know I'm I'm thinking about taking a uh, a non professional name in 2023 I I think I'm going to do it but wait you know, a minute, wait wait what what do you what do you mean a non professional name so a name and I and I have it in mind I'm not going to share it yet but what I want people to call me and to refer to me as when they are interested in having a conversation with me and not booking me for something or asking me about um triloquy or or those things, you know, because sometimes I struggle with Garrett McQueen, the human being, and Garrett McQueen, the brand, the voice, the agitator, those things. Have you had any uh, thoughts or 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 ideas about Scott Blankenship, the human being, and Scott Blankenship, the national radio host, the the voice that people hear, the the producer that Uh, people know what what are your ideas on that sort of duality
1: it's interesting that you should bring that up because i struggle Mm -hmm. with when people hear that i work in classical radio they Mm -hmm. automatically get an i an idea just like when you say uh, I went to an orchestral concert this past weekend. They're like, oh, but, oh. Right. Yeah. But they would not have anticipated the the clip that you played, right. would they? Right. So I try to tell people that what you hear me do on the radio or on this podcast is like looking at what I do through a Viewmaster. Right. You're getting a snapshot. Because there's a whole bunch of other stuff that make up who I am that you're never going to see. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and You're never going uh, to be hip to. And those are the most real parts. Right. Exactly. Um, because that's a job. Being a national classical host is a job. It's not who I am. And up there, I'm trying to hit uh, a, a time post yeah. most of the time you know so you're not going to hear all of my thoughts on anything and certainly you're not going to hear my most personal i even thought about using a, an on air name yeah so that i could differentiate it because i've got people who send me pictures of my house yeah really you know they have got they have gotten Yikes. to that they they know where i live you know, and and one of the things that I tried to t- okay, let me let me go in the way back machine here real quick. When I was teaching as an adjunct, when I was teaching radio as an adjunct, I told all of my students, "Look, people are going to decide whether they love you or or they hate you from the moment right they hear in the your first voice. thirty seconds. Yep. And the and the radical ones are going to try to find you if, on both ends, either because they're so oh, you they love you so much, you know, yeah. and and or the people who want to hurt you. Yep." And that's scary shit, man. Mm -hmm. That is Mm -hmm. inappropriate. (laughs) You know, to that's all I'm going to say is is that uh, I have thought about, like you said, having that professional name, and
0: there's times that I wish that I had. (laughs) I, I I think it's too late. So when I started in radio, there were some program directors and and especially folks in news at the first station I worked at that assumed that Garrett McQueen was my on-air name. They they're like, you know, more than once people will be like, and I love the name you've chosen for yourself. That's very, <laughs> and I'm like, no, that's my name. That's who I am. I think I'm too deep uh, and too public of a figure yeah. to completely just wipe away Garrett McQueen. And, and, and let's face it, it's, it's ex- excellent casting me who I am and last name McQueen, mm. you know, I, I, I love it. <laughs> and, There are times where I wish that I could know. (laughs) This sounds bad. There are times when I wish I could know what a person wants from me. As soon as they start talking to me. Mm-hmm. So I feel like taking on a name, if you are using this, if you're using the name Garrett McQueen, I'm going to assume that you are talking to the person who produces a podcast, produces radio uh, programming, who works for the American Composers Orchestra, who, who is in the field of agitating classical music. I'm going to assume you're talking to that person. If you want to talk to the person who you want to buy some weed from, who you want to engage on a personal level, who you want uh, to take to the wrestling match, you you know, Mm. (laughs) this is who you need to talk to. So we'll see. I'm still, I I have the name picked out. I'm, I'm, We'll see what happens at the at the beginning of 2023. But anyway, just wanted to bring that uh, part of the conversation to you just to see what you thought, because that is something that Shelly and I definitely engaged even beyond the recording, talking about how we um, think about that. So yeah, feel, feel free to reach out to me if you have experiences uh, therein. Again, shout out and a special thank you to Shelly Washington for joining me this week on the Triloquy podcast. All right. We're getting into the fourth movement, the Triloquy movement, and we're going to listen to a work uh, by James DeMars. It's called Premonitions of Christopher Columbus. I'll offer some context around this piece on the other side, but here's a little bit of the opening of it. Are Carlos Nakai playing the flute in that recording? I believe the orchestra. Let me see. Let me check in here on the uh, the, the program notes here. The orchestra isn't named in the program notes, but if I remember correctly, that's the uh, Utah Symphony Orchestra. Anyway, this piece of music was one that I included in a, um Indigenous People's Day program that I did down at WUOT back in 2017. But the interesting thing is people weren't using the phrase Indigenous People's Day back at that point. I'm going to put myself out here a little bit, you know, because radio hosts, we love to... Um, uh, archive our our scripts that we write for ourselves. So you know, sometimes I read some of my old scripts, and I'm like, "Oh, Garrett, you are so fucking square." But let me <laughs> let, let, let me let me read what I wrote for myself back in 2017 for this radio program. I said, "Good afternoon. Today is Monday, October 9th, and you're listening to the afternoon cl- concert here on your classical station, 91.9 FM WOT. I'm Garrett McQueen. Thank you for joining me this afternoon. For today, I've put together a collection of pieces that honor America's indigenous people. Composer." James James Demars has a large collection of music that falls into this category, so we'll hear three of his works today, as well as the music of Erica Wazen, Catherine Hoover, and many others. And I and I go on and talk about some things. I wanted to read that and bring this to the front because when I heard someone say Columbus Day this year, it it struck me in a way that I wouldn't have expected. I have spent so much time not thinking about Christopher Columbus <laughs> that someone saying Columbus Day just sounds weird to my ears. Again, back in 2017, people were still very much saying Columbus Day, but I chose, you know, in my spirit and through my activism, to not even go there. Right. I didn't say Indigenous Peoples Day in that script because that's not what people were doing, and I didn't have that in my vocabulary. So instead, I said, all right, well, we're going to listen to music that, um, that is inspired by indigenous people so on this program uh that I maybe maybe I'll put a link to uh this program listing in the um description but I have uh you know like as I mentioned works by James Demars, one called Far from Water um uh, Premonitions of Christopher Columbus, and then he has a symphony. It's called the Two World Symphony. Definitely check that out um, if you uh, haven't. There's Shadow Catcher by Erica Wazen on this playlist, Dream Catcher by composer Walter Mays, Canyon Echoes for flute and guitar by Katherine Hoover. I can go on and we can have the conversation of white composers writing indigenous themed music and, and the nuances of that. But at the end of the day, it was in my spirit to just make the effort to do something different and to honor the the marginalized people on this day that people call Columbus Day. Uh, do you have, but before we get into the specifics of you know that conversation, how have you engaged or have you engaged um programming that aligns with indigenous people and indigenous culture in the path, in the in the past? You know, especially Considering that you're from Omaha, Nebraska, which is in itself an, an indigenous word, at least it sounds like one. I imagine there's mm-hmm. some there's some history there when it when it comes to the way uh, people engage local culture. Has this been a conversation that you've thought about for for many years in a row?
1: Back in the day when I was actually programming my own show, um, it was even further away from calling it indigenous exactly. people's yep. day. So no, there was none of that. And back then. I didn't even have the knowledge of those composers to highlight them. You know, so it's been my own process and my own learning over the years that has got me to where I am right now, but no, back when I was actually programming my own show, I didn't have that connection.
0: Yeah. Um, but you're right. Uh, it, you know, Omaha is indigenous. So and, and I didn't I didn't have that connection either, you know. I'm because yeah. I'm I'm a I'm a black man, so you know, there there's not a whole bunch of just uh, ancestral or cultural knowledge I have about, at least at that point, about Indigenous people, but I did the legwork of finding everything I could. And I'm sure it took me a long time to put together that playlist because it's one thing to go into, you know, your um, your music cataloging software and type it in the word Indigenous, but, you know, Indigenous isn't the title of any of these pieces of music. So there's some actual legwork that, you know, one has to do that I had to do to create that programming. So that's the the first point that I want to make is that as we shift away from Columbus Day and into Indigenous Peoples Day, it's not going to be easy work for uh, artistic programmers and um, and conductors and music directors to find programming that fits into honoring Indigenous people. It's, it's not easy work. The work is doing your research, doing your reading, engaging different conversations, listening to different podcasts, whatever you have to do to know who some of these composers are and to know where you can find some of these recordings and some of these pieces of music. That's number one. Mm. Number two, though, is that I got online, you know, I <laughs> I woke up this morning just to see what the internet was talking about on on this Indigenous Peoples Day. And of course, you know, Twitter never fails to to tell the story. You have threads upon threads upon threads of people who are just riding for Columbus Day saying that um it it honors, you know, the contributions of Italian Americans in this country and and da 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 and and blah blah blah. From your perspective, I wonder what that is a symptom of. If I just go on the Internet and call these people racist, you know, they don't hear me. And all of a sudden I'm the bad guy and I'm and I'm being divisive and X, Y and Z. OK, of course. So what is all of that a symptom of? Is it really rooted in Italian American pride or or what? What 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 from your perspective, what could it be?
1: It's a sanitized version of history that we've been taught since we were in grade school. Mm-hmm. And now you're seeing the cognitive dissonance of people who don't quite grasp why you're attacking things that they learned in first grade. Mm-hmm. But I wanna I wanna shout out my fifth grade teacher, shout out to the late Mrs. Crowder, who I remember I came in. Uh, from, I, I don't know, I had been called to the office for something when I came back. She says, do you know who, uh, we, were, we were just talking about the discovery of America, Scott, do you know who discovered America? And I went, yeah, Christopher Columbus. And she went, no, 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 no. It was Leif Erikson. <laughs> and she launches into this whole thing about how Leif Erikson, you know, the
0: Viking had been here
1: hundreds Ooh. of years. And, see, before, and now we're
0: here in Minnesota and they'll cuss you out for trying to take Leif Erickson out of the conversation. Right. right.
1: <laughs> so, you know, she was she was planting the seeds back then. Yeah. But you know, here what you're 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 challenging things that people who peaked <laughs> in, Ooh, in these, in, these uh, uh, in high school and junior high,
0: you're 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 challenging what they believe to be true. And even with the Leif Erickson, shout out to my, my uncle is named, we call him Leif. We don't say Leif. Leif Erickson right, right. Dyer is his name. You right. know, so I, I have that name even in my immediate family, my mom's brother. Um, sh- shout out to Uncle Eric. Uh, but even that is incorrect to say that Leif Erickson discovered America. You know, that is just so fucked up to to teach that to children. You mean when people are here. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, when, yeah and, right. and have been forever. So right. one of the fuck you talking about discovering something you know shout out to um me and Dell's friends kevin and jess they have two little ones and we were talking about education and that sort of thing we hung out with them a little bit yesterday if i had kids i would just be so apprehensive to send them to some of these schools because i feel like i would have to be in the classroom every other day yelling at the teacher well maybe not yelling having a conversation with the teacher about why are you telling my child that someone named christopher columbus or life air Or whoever discovered America. Why aren't you telling my child the truth? about the history of this country. So, you know, when that comes to the education systems, that bleeds into the way that we think about our American infrastructures, the way that we think about the so-called foundations of this country and just wipe all of this away. I think we're still in a point where we think about indigenous people as one and forget about the fact that you had so many different traditions, especially even musical traditions. You have um, indigenous traditions that center around the drum. You have uh, indigenous traditions that center around uh, different t- sorts of uh, flutes and things. Uh, I believe uh, when uh, Jared Tate was on the uh, podcast, he talked about how um, the musical traditions that he comes from are a lot about the shaker, so uh, tortoise shells and, and things, making music along those lines. But we're, we're still thinking of, of indigenous people as one, A, and number two, gone. You know, not non-existent anymore. When they still exist, I think there are just so many conversations that we need to have about indigenous equity and what it means for us to um, uh, to honor them properly. But we can't even do that because people are still making a reason justifying the idea of a Columbus Day. That's ridiculous. You know, shout—we we haven't uh, played the sound clip for in a long time from the movie Pocahontas. These white men are dangerous. <laughs> yeah. But think, but think about. You know, that being in a Disney film, you know, that that little morsel of truth, you know, being taught to children. But of course, I'm sure it was somebody complaining about that. Of course, back in the was. day in 1994, whenever Pocahontas came out. I love that, at least in Pocahontas part one, because, you know, Disney loves to do part two and three where they s- flip in the script. But at the end of the movie, Pocahontas, John Smith gets hurt. And goes back to England, and Pocahontas is like, "All right, well, see you." You know, she don't get on the boat with him. You right. know, <laughs> she gives him the long goodbye and says, I, "I hope, I hope they fix you over there, and I hope that you understand what happened over here." Anyway, I get worked up about it because the degree to which we have to be re-educated, you know respond to our miseducation just seems so deep, especially on days like Indigenous People's Day. It's hard for me to 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 not feel that frustration. But, you know, I think it's also important for us to make sure that we're thinking about ways to honor Indigenous people, especially in our musical presentations and, and, and everything else we do. This podcast is called Triloquy. So I, I wanted to wrap up with one idea, basically one question. Scott, how do you think we need to think about the idea of repatriation. you know, black folks always talk about liberation in a lot of indigenous circles we're talking about repatriation, giving land back to indigenous people. What does that mean for the business owner? What does that mean for the homeowner? Mm-hmm. What are your ideas around repatriation?
1: it's a, I, I don't even have one. it's mm-hmm. It's really difficult for me to wrap my head around it. I get that it is stolen land. I mm-hmm. get I get this. And I also have the point of view of like, well, I, I did purchase this in the, in the, in, in the sphere that I am in now. Mm-hmm. I bought a home and I've been maintaining it, Yep, you know, but it's, but this isn't on my land. There's a lo- there's loads of things that I've, I've seen online today. And one of the, um, One of the quotes that really resonated with me was uh, this guy talking about how you need to be able to differentiate. No, you did not create a genocide or commit a genocide, but as a white person, you have benefited from it. Yeah, from from that source. So I'm still trying to to fully come to grips with that. As far as what it lo- what land back would look like, how it would impact me, I'm not sure what do you, what do you what what do you yeah. think about? When you I, think I
0: have about a it? lot of dissonances as well because I come to the conversation of, well, look, my ancestors were 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 brought here unwillingly. We are were not a, among those colonizer class people. So my the way that I engage it is even different. I think a lot about the state of Hawaii and how indigenous people there, Native Hawaiians are like, do not come over here. Yeah. this is this is not your vacation spot. Yeah. And there's a part of me, that's like of course i'll i'll never buy a plane ticket to hawaii there's another part of me that's like but are you talking to me should you be talking to me it's a it's the the conversations are not easy to have um i've made a point to um, seek out more indigenous people, not to create content around or to do that, but to just really dialogue with and to have some of these uh, conversations. Dell and I uh, have made reservations to go eat at Awamni. Uh, the reservations are in December because you're not just going to walk right. up in there. <laughs> right. They don't have bar seating. Uh-uh, no, you have to get <laughs> on the list. And, if, yeah. and so we got on the list, so we'll be there in December. Um, but I, I just hope everyone can just figure out a way to honor the history of indigenous people in the most authentic way you can. You know, we're here in the field of music, so-called classical music. So, you know, um, I'm always thinking about those composers. Shout out to Brent Michael Davids, who taught me the concept of musicking, you know, and indigenous music, not as this thing, but something that is always tied to ceremony or an event. Shout out to Raven Chacon, you know, the first indigenous uh, artist to win the Pulitzer here um, just just this year, member of the Triloquy family, Jared Tate, who's been on Triloquy, who I've learned so much from, you know, James DeMars, Arkalos Nakai. There are so many Indigenous composers, music creators, and folks who that we can engage to just get better at these conversations and to honor Indigenous people better than we have. Um, you know, Triloquy is uh, recorded and produced on the ancestral and contemporary lands of the Wapakuti Sioux who are a part of the um, broader Eastern uh, Dakota group of tribes. I always think about in my presentations, how I can honor them and not just do the land acknowledgement to do it, but to put people on to some knowledge or to some music or something that is connected with indigenous culture. We have a lot to do. Happy Indigenous Peoples Day to everyone who's talking about uh, Columbus Day get your life together and um and <laughs> mm. you know think about what repatri- what repatriation would mean for you you know we have these so-called political conservatives who are so afraid of Mexicans crossing the border and taking their land but you that that's what your ancestors did you see people yeah. get so close yeah. to understanding what the issue is it's right there in their fucking face but they're too close to see it anyway positivity. Thank you for listening, everybody. Happy Indigenous Peoples Day. We'll see you next week.